imagine if I were drinking because yeah. <laughs> without alcohol, 100%. you know, because it, the alter ego come out. That's exactly right. Does your alter ego have a name? I'm just curious. Oh, I've never thought of naming her. I'm going to work on that. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Enneagram podcast, where we talk about the Enneagram in the context of work. I'm your host, Kelsey Taylor, and today on the show, we have a very wonderful and near and dear to my heart guest, Enneagram Type 3, Tracy Brock, who is a licensed professional counselor in the state of Texas. Tracy is incredible. I was referred to her, and I kid you not, the words that were used was, you are going to the very best. And I can, from experience, absolutely say you are the very, very best. So Tracy, thank you so much for being willing to be on the show today and share your knowledge and your wisdom. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Kelsey. Absolutely. I know a bit about you, but our listeners and my audience doesn't. And so I'd love to give them a peek behind the curtain into Tracy's life. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you like to do for fun. I'm Tracy Brock, and I've been a therapist for a long time. And I've got three grown married kids. They're in their 20s. No grandchildren yet. My husband, Mike, and I, we do some ministry and some counseling together, some weekend marriage transformation weekends, and some affair recovery weekends. And for fun, I love to country western dance. Amazing. And my alter ego comes out. And <laughs> the newest thing is I used to be an athlete and play a lot of sports. And so I really love pickleball. Yes. In fact, I'm going to order me a new paddle. It's time to move on up. That's amazing. I keep hearing about pickleball. I've yet to play, but I keep hearing how fun it is. So you have to try it out. And I love it because it's, you don't have to be a great athlete to be able to play and be good at it. Absolutely. Yes. You just can have fun doing that. That's amazing. Okay. So you mentioned alter ego. I have one and I name her Chelsea and she comes out at weddings and she is a dancing queen. Yes. Yes. I love weddings. (laughs) You can I hit a button that says, and imagine if I were drinking, because <laughs> without alcohol, 100%, you know, because it, the alter ego come out. That's exactly right. Does your alter ego have a name? I'm just curious. Oh, I've never thought of naming her. I'm going to work on that. Maybe I love Stacey. it. If you've got, I was going to say, Stacy's yes. a great option. I love that. That's so funny. Tell me more about how you got into counseling and At what point were you like, yes, this is what I was made to do, and why do you want to do it? Well, I've always been interested in why people do what they do and my own stuff. So I got a bachelor's in psychology and then took a big detour and became a CPA. My life took a big detour, and I got married. When that marriage ended, it was abusive. It was betrayal trauma. That's what really landed me back in counseling as a client. And it so changed my life, just talk therapy, that I realized this is really what I'm made to do. Because I was a CPA and I could do the work, but mm-hmm. I hated it. Being in a little cubicle by myself all day with numbers, mm-hmm. so far cry from being a therapist. So I went back and got my master's in counseling and have been doing it about 31 years now. My specialties are highly conflicted marriages and trauma. Fun, fun. <laughs> Yeah, always a good day at work for you. I'm sure. Good day at work. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. What would you say is the most rewarding aspect of your job? I love to see people's 
lives change, where they get free from bondages and old junk and in order to really live out of who they were truly designed to be. That really excites me. And I don't care if it's from coming to see me or, you know, if they had a breakthrough in between sessions, totally unrelated to me. I just love to see people get free. How long is that process? Typically, it probably varies from person to person, but do you have any kind of a gauge on? You know, I don't know if we ever totally arrive. I've been working on my own journey my whole life, you know, for a long, long time. Well, 40 years since that first trauma or Mm -hmm. what got me into counseling. But Mm -hmm. sometimes you just have something that's more, maybe it not be trauma from childhood. It's more of a trauma that occurred in adulthood or something that is a very painful, stressful experience. And sometimes just a few sessions, especially with some of the trauma therapies we have now, Mm -hmm. it may not take as long, but yes, it very much varies on the situation, the person, their motivation and the counselor. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. What would you say is the most challenging aspect of being a counselor? Well, the main thing is it's very hard on your health because Mm -hmm. you sit. I sit all day long listening to hard stuff. But other than the sitting, my doctor said, try to do jumping jacks in the bathroom in between sessions. But I'm so into people and their stories and whatever that I never do that. So (laughs) getting my body movements throughout the day. But really, probably the other thing is you're just sitting with a lot of really hard stories, a lot of Mm -hmm. hard, deep pain and suffering and how to have that boundary where you really care, you really enter into it, you give them your best. And then you have to pull out and say, but that's not my life. And I am not the source Mm -hmm. of their healing. And so finding that balance is probably the most difficult emotionally. And then sometimes you're just so drained at the end of the day, to be honest, it's messed up my friendships because I don't want to be with anybody that talks about their story. I want it to be all about me when I get off work. And, you know, that's not really good for friendships. (laughs) (laughs) That's very honest. Thank you. That's so helpful. I think a lot of people who are listening can relate to that not in a counseling sense. We have a lot of listeners that use the Enneagram. And so they are listening to people's stories through the lens of their Enneagram and trying to help other people learn theirs. Mm -hmm. We also have a lot of listeners who are just trying to figure out how to work well with other people. If they're leading a team, they're trying to figure out how to lead well. And so a lot of times that is relating to other people and giving them space to have their stories. So what advice would you give those people who they're experiencing friction, and it may be even within their own marriage or within their coworkers or as a leader. How can they separate? Like you said, that's their story, and I'm not supposed to be the solution. I partake in the process of them getting a solution. What tips would you give? Well, I'm going to give you a crazy answer off just the top of my head red, orange, red, orange, red, orange. That does not make sense to your listeners yet. But once we start talking about the type of therapy I do and what red, orange light does, Mm -hmm. because really what you're talking about is how do we not be enmeshed? How do we care? How do we be involved, but not be enmeshed with other people's issues, suffering, story, so that we are incapacitated. And one thing is just in any issue, relational issue, to get educated. There are relational principles, There is understanding what is happening in the relationship. Understanding trauma is a huge part of working on relationships. Mm -hmm. And just learning how to let people's stuff be their stuff, not taking it on yourself. So part of what I do is a lot of psychoeducational type therapy where you're learning principles about relationships and about people and even about the brain and Mm -hmm. learning some tools. Oh, if I say it this way, because of the way the brain is made, because of the way we're all so self-protective, 
it doesn't work to approach someone in this manner. This is a better way to approach them. So that's just a communication tool, you might say. I love that. That's so good. Yes. And red-orange has great context for me. I know exactly what you're talking about. So I'm excited for those of you listening. I am excited for y'all to get some context for that because it, it will be game changer for you, I promise you. So before we jump into that, though, how did you find out about the Enneagram and how do you know that you're a type three? Well, first of all, how I found out my kids, they were in college and they were learning about the Enneagram. So I just kept hearing it here and there. I would hear it a little from clients, but especially when my kids was talking about it. And so I got Ian Crone's book, The Road mm-hmm. Back to You, and read uh, Suzanne Seville, mm-hmm. her book. I read about it. I went to a couple of workshops. As far as my type, for the longest time, everybody that knows me thinks I'm a type two. I thought I was a type two. But as I read more about it, I think, you know, because it was like in my two with a wing three or three with mm-hmm. a wing two. But as I learned more about it and actually was in a therapist group that was led by a counselor who uses the Enneagram a lot. And through that, the question about your kind of core motivation, especially in your 20s, and then as I'm learning more and more about my story and even some things that happened early on, it all made sense that I'm a three. I fit a lot of things about a three more than anything else. Unfortunately, I don't like most of it. I would say I'm a miserable three. I don't want to be a three, but I'm a three. You know, my core motivation (laughs) a lot of times is to gain value or to feel important Mm -hmm. by impressing other people with my achievements. A lot of focus on, you know, how they see me, multitask queen, you know, won every award you could win in that little town, trying to prove my importance. Very competitive. Mm -hmm. I've worked on it a lot, but still got a lot of that. But I'm unlike a three in that I do go deep into feelings, vulnerability. I love true story movies. I'll hardly watch anything else. I don't mind crying and going deep if it's a true story. Mm -hmm. I just fascinated by the lives people have lived. So I'm a pretty good mix there. I love that. I think that is a healthy three that is able to do that. And I think it's good use of both your wings, the two helping others and the four being very in tune with their own emotions. That's a great balance. So it makes for a perfect therapist, I think. Okay, so you talked about getting involved in counseling through your own experience, and that was talk therapy. You don't do much talk therapy these days. You do more ETT. And so what's the difference between talk therapy and ETT? Well, I want to adjust that just a little bit. I do talk therapy because that's one of the things I love about ETT, and I'll explain that, but it allows you to still talk with the client and do talk therapy, but you just have a third modality in the room. It's almost like I have another counselor that's helping to bring out the subconscious and shift things in the emotional area. But ETT stands for Emotional Transformation Therapy. Mm -hmm. It is a fairly new attachment-based trauma therapy. In fact, the man who developed it, who's a genius, is amazing. Dr. Steve Vasquez, he's here in Austin. He was in Dallas for a while. He's here in Austin. He started developing this about 30 years ago, has written books. Some of the books were just, they're so amazing. And they explain all this, but they're way over my head, you know, really (laughs) powerful therapy. It uses light and color, color, just different wavelengths of light. And it's designed to rapidly reduce disturbing emotional states. And it does that by using precise visual stimulation in the brain. So if you want to put that in just two words, as simple as you can get, color heals. Mm. Color, light and color comes in through the eyes and is changed into neural impulses that go Mm -hmm. throughout the brain to help not only with vision, but also to affect brain mechanisms that have to do with thought, 
emotion, and even physical sensations when it's stress-related. Mm-hmm. So there's almost no limit to what you can do to help change those stuck brain patterns, that emotional pattern or that even thought pattern. You know, you can do talk therapy all day long to try to change that shame lie mm-hmm. that so many of us have, if not all of us have some. And yet ETT has changed that more than anything I've seen. And it's also, like I said, it is a talk therapy because while they're on one of the four instruments we have that are just color and light, you're still talking, you're still communicating with them. And yet it is doing so much more of the work than you just do when you're doing talk therapy straight out of just the conscious brain. I love that. I love that is a perfect reframe. And I'm so grateful that you made that correction. Thank you. It's so poetic in my mind to think, oh my gosh, there is an additional counselor in the room through that method. There's you, you're talking to me, and then we've got this light and color that's also working. And so that's beautifully said. I love the way you put that. Why do you use... example, if I could. Yes, please, please. please. Okay, so if you know anything about attachment styles, which are just ways that we learn to regulate our emotions and relate to other people based on early bonding in life. Mm -hmm. So one attachment style, we won't get into all those today, I know, but is avoidant. And they just Mm -hmm. learn to deal with negative emotions, unmet needs, pain, trauma, by just being able to avoid those feelings. Mm -hmm. And so typically they're not your funnest client to have if you're a therapist, (laughs) because it's like a slippery bar of soap. As soon as you start to get somewhere, they can avoid, the brain can just go into a different room. And Mm -hmm. so it's like the bar of soap just shoots out. So with ETT though, when I get them on the color chart, and I'll just show you what it looks like. It's very intense colors, mm-hmm. very saturated colors. And it is amazing where if you are on the right emotional state, looking at the correct color, it will bring implicit memories from the subconscious. And the next thing you know, that avoidant is getting in touch with stuff that their brain normally consciously would not allow them to go to, but that you've got to go to if you're going to get some healing for that stuff. And so I have seen marriage is transformed because amazing. typically if someone's really strongly avoidant, that spouse is pretty lonely and upset a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And they're the one that comes to me. Then yes. if we can get the avoidant to come in and do a little bit of ETT, we start to see just great growth and change individually as well as in the marriage. So that's one example of how ETT can really help get underneath to do some healing in that subconscious area. That's a perfect example. I love that. Very well said. You said to the right color, the right emotional state and the right color. So for those of us who are not familiar with ETT at all, what does that mean? What does it mean to be the right color? So as color comes into the eyes, it's actually different wavelengths of light. Mm -hmm. And then we can also blend those colors. We can put a flicker rate to affect the alpha and beta waves of the brain. We can use peripheral light that comes in through, you know, around the peripheral and block out the center. So all these ways cause this light and color to come in through the pupil and hit the retina, which goes to every part of the brain. And the different wavelengths are going to cause different neural impulses in the brain to different areas of the brain. Now, that's my definition. If you really want to know more about it, there's a lot of information out there. Just Google it on the internet. Go read Dr. Vasquez's book. But to be honest, I don't have that left brain science mind that can remember. And I really don't care. I just want to know. Does it work? Is it safe? Can I do damage using it? And really ETT is safe because if you're not on the right wavelength color for that disturbing emotion or physical sensation they're having, it just won't do anything. Mm -hmm. But when it matches up, 
it changes things very rapidly. So let me tell you a little bit about the colors. I would and love that. And yes. to use because they are used for different emotional disturbances. And as I tell you these, you'll notice there's both the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. So it may be that you feel really high energy, almost like ADD, frenetic energy, or you may have fatigue and just mm-hmm. can't get going. Well, that's going to be the same color, even though you've got totally opposite. So I'll just start and go up the spectral chart. Perfect. Far red is for instability, kind of survival insecurity, a lot of traumas where there's almost like life death, uh, really deep attachment wounding, almost when somebody feels in shock or mm-hmm. deep socialization. So a lot of times when we're getting into severe trauma, that can help release that trauma feeling so that you can come back into your full conscious brain also. The red is for passion. So like I said, it can be for when there is a high energy or way too low energy. It's desire. So a lot of the sexual issues that people are struggling with, we can use with red. Red, orange. Now I'm going to read you all of red, orange, because like you said, that's our color. That's for codependency, over-responsibility, shame. So red, orange is for shame. And it is to shift it from an external locus of control to an internal locus of control for you and your value and your story. So this is my color. (laughs) So if you're too compliant, inhibited, rigid, enmeshed, burdened, undifferentiated from that other person or their story, hypervigilant, critical, embarrassed, ooh, I hate embarrassment, (laughs) guilt and shame, excessive sense of responsibility, anybody? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. when you feel kind of violated or intruded. So it has a lot to do with boundaries. Mm-hmm. It has a lot to do with not looking too much outside yourself to get your definition of value. Mm-hmm. So red orange is an important one for me. Orange has to do with your self-esteem, your self-perception, your autobiographical information. So when somebody's struggling with remembering details from something in childhood or where something comes from, a lot of times I put them on orange and the next thing you know, they've shifted from the current situation and they're starting to talk about their story, their childhood, their memories. Amazing. Yellow is also used a lot because that's where we feel like a victim. It's the victim cluster. You can go from on one side feeling very angry to the other side feeling very helpless, hopeless, a sense Mm -hmm. of loss of control, trapped, Mm -hmm. powerless. Yellow green is the conflict cluster where you feel kind of almost like split, sad and angry at the same time. You can get into disgust and hate, even when you're bewildered or perplexed about what you feel, internally conflicted. Mm -hmm. Green is for when you feel sad. It has to do with love and affection. So when you feel lonely, vulnerable, abandoned, empty, pretty sad words. Yes, yes. So at some point, we all go to green, and green will bring the tears. Green Mm -hmm. will bring the pain, but it'll also bring the desire for connection when we've lost it. And Mm -hmm. it's almost like we start feeling love feelings again. We want to be connected to that person again. Blue-green is when you are either really in your left brain, intellectual, rational, logical, impersonal, even flat affect, or on the other side, where you're very emotional, very moody, hypersensitive. So that has to do with kind of the detached or moody cluster. Three more, okay? I love you. You're doing great. Thanks. Straight blue is the verbal communication area. So it can be when you are verbally abusive, argumentative, kind of disorganized in the way that you verbalize things, or you can be almost inarticulate, mute. You can be stuck in the should I talk or not talk, or fixated on negative communication. Indigo 
which I just love that word. I love that color, indigo. So it's the cognitive cluster. And it is amazing how after working on a lot of the other colors, we can get on indigo and the client is starting to put all the pieces together. It's like this makes mm-hmm. sense, connecting the dots. So when you are struggling with irrational thinking, indecisiveness, disorganized thought, or obsessive thinking, we use indigo a lot in treating obsessive compulsive disorders because they're just stuck on this obsessive thought process. Indigo is great for helping them to break out of that. Mm -hmm. And then finally, violet, or some people call it purple. It's the trust, mistrust color. So when we are either kind of got all this magical thinking, over-spiritualization, kind of delusional, surreal cognition, spacey, or where you're very mistrusting, doubting. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you can see like with betrayal trauma, you may do far red for the trauma. You may do yellow because of all the victimization and the hopelessness. You're going to have to do some violet for the trust issues. Mm -hmm. So as they're talking, I am matching the color. And it's amazing how their thoughts will change. They'll have a thought come in that they never really, really accepted before. Maybe people have told them over and over, you know, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. But when we're doing ETT, suddenly it releases, they feel differently, they can see that it wasn't their fault or whatever it is. It just shifts sometimes very quickly and very dramatically. So those are the colors. That's amazing. You did such a great job overviewing all of that. I love it. This is so helpful. And now everybody has some context too for, okay, you showed me the light board, but what do the colors mean? I will say too, I have this working theory based off of a handout you gave me that the colors kind of resonate with different parts of our bodies too. Yes, And so when we put that in context with the Enneagram, I see some overlaps that I think are really interesting. For instance, there's red is more in the gut, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet kind of works your way up the body. And so we just talked about indigo and violet being very cognizant. And so that really ties in well with the different triads for the Enneagram. You've got the gut triad, which is red, orange, yellow. And you've got your heart, which are more the feelings, yellow, green, blue. And then you've got the thinking triad, which is blue, indigo, violet. And it's some kind of combination overlapping. But I remember looking at that chart thinking there may be something here. And I would be interested to know if you have a lot of sixes who spend a lot of time on the violet and indigo, because that's where their brain is. That's their instinctive center. You're right. And I would love for someone, maybe some master's or doctorate level student out there to try to correlate between ET, the body, the truth of that with the Enneagram and with the nine attachment styles. Dr. Yes. separate them out into nine attachment styles. I would say, yes, I do see that. But then also I would say, you know, that even though that's your triad and maybe your go-to emotion or kind of the go-to place we talk about of the body, that we're so complex that I find more often than not that everybody will travel through all the colors, even though you might have a go-to. And then it's so affected by your story, Mm -hmm. not just your personality, but there's a lot affected by your story. You can imagine no matter what number on the Enneagram you are, when you go through betrayal trauma, there's going to be certain things that you are just going to go along with that. And those colors that correspond with those disturbing emotions. I want to say something based on something you said. I want to be really careful. I am not a doctor. No ETT therapist, unless you are truly a medical physician and got trained in ETT, is a doctor. So we don't cure body. We don't diagnose body. What we do, though, is as we're working with 
the different colors and light and instruments, we are affecting brain patterns that go to different parts of the body. We really are dealing with a stress component. And I think we are all aware now that you just can't find a doctor out there now that doesn't say there's probably a stress component to most diseases right. and issues that they see, even if it's like from a wreck and something was injured. There's a stress component now, like a cyclist who just when he comes to that turn in the road where he wiped out and broke bones, his body's going to react. And that's mm -hmm. what he works on is the stress component underlying. Because like, you know, the famous book, The Body Keeps the Score, trauma mm -hmm. is not stored so much in the brain as it is in the body. So that's where that whole interface of ETT and the different colors affecting different parts of the body. Let me give you an example. We can use peripheral eye stimulation, which we have goggles that lets light in around the peripheral of the eye is beautiful for helping with migraines. Anybody that's had migraines knows how light can affect migraines. Yes. So just the but also I have treated migraines with other instruments based on blue, which is in this area. Blue is also used for auditory trauma. I've been using a lot more of the auditory trauma protocol, which is used on the light box with a mm -hmm. different scope of light, because even though there's a lot of trauma, let's say a childhood trauma, many times there is a sound, maybe the sound of the door slamming or mm -hmm. a parent's voice when they're screaming. And so mm -hmm. when I use the auditory protocol to release that trauma from the sound, it takes a lot of the rest of the trauma out with it. So I would say... ETT can be used a lot of different ways, but I do love that insight you have about the Enneagram number and the triads and the body and the colors. I'm sure there's some connection there. I'd be interested to see yeah, how they blend together. And I love what you said. It's so true. We will go through all of the colors at some point. We will. And, and we do in the same way we have all nine types within us. There's usually that one behavioral mechanism that we kind of fall back on. There's that for me, it's the Enneagram one for you, it's your three, but we do have the other eight types within us. Absolutely. And so I think it's important to point out both of those things that you're not just your number. You're so much more than that. And you won't just have this one color that solves all your problems. There's going to be nuance to that as well. Exactly. So I am curious, I really think you've kind of laid a case for ETT so far and how amazing it is. But I still want to ask, out of all the trauma tools that you can use, like I know there's EMDR and I've used that before and I've liked it. I love ETT. If I had to pick, I would go ETT just from my experience. But why do you, from your perspective of all the tools that you have available to choose from, why do you use ETT above anything else? Well, I'm going to start answering that by telling you how I got into it and okay. then I'll be more specific. So I'd already been trained in trauma therapy. I just got to say this. I shudder to think of my very early days of counseling when I did not understand trauma and did not understand the brain. And I'm so thankful that we've learned so much and that there mm -hmm. are so many modalities out there. And I think they're all good and I'm partial to ETT, but I have people all the time and I'm like, if you can't find an ETT therapist where you live, there are other modalities, EMDR, ISS, somatic processing. There's so many others and get in them. Don't just stick with a talk therapist when you have trauma because it seldom really releases it unless it's maybe done a very specific way. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I had been trained in a couple of those and I was sitting at a meeting. I'm in a meeting. I forget what they call it right now, but it's for people who help betrayed spouses mm -hmm. who've been betrayed in the trauma. And one of my therapist friends 
mentioned that her therapist, her boss, who's a therapist, had a they both had a cancellation, so they had both a blank hour. And he had been doing this weird kind of voodoo stuff with color and stuff. And she said, here, you want me to show it to you? And she said, I went in there. I told him a very disturbing thought or feeling I had regarding one of my children and said, he had me look at this crazy color chart and it went all wacky on me. And then he pulled out these crazy color wands he used. And I'm just like, what the heck? And she said, all I can tell you is I feel totally different after just 20 minutes that was three weeks ago, I still feel very different and I'm able to parent better. And I was just, tell me more. And she said, well, there's a training in like two weeks. And so we both went, she's now an instructor. And so that's how I got into it. And I have never done anything else since. It's not easy training. Mm-hmm. It's like five different levels. You go for three hard days. It costs some money. You have to mm-hmm. buy the instruments. So it's quite an investment. And I think that's one reason we don't see it as prevalent. It's more of an art that you can treat anything with, but it's harder to really get into it. And you just got to dive in and start using it and see what it does. The Mm -hmm. other thing is, Dr. Vasquez says one of his biggest problems is with us therapists who had already been doing a lot of other stuff to really believe that something could change that quickly. Mm -hmm. So now I'm kind of spoiled the other way. If something doesn't release pretty quickly, I'm like, well, what am I doing wrong? What do we need to know? (laughs) (laughs) Work like this. So why do I choose ETT? One of the things I'd say is because of the speed. Mm-hmm. It is so quick. It is hard to believe sometimes. To me, I feel like some of the others are good. They are fast cars, but this is a rocket ship. Mm-hmm. But I would mm-hmm. also say I like it because it's so versatile and precise. Mm-hmm. We can really do very precise surgery without a scalpel, without medication to really affect those stuck things in our brain. I want to get a sign and put in my office and the sign, I used to say, I want to get a sign that says we do awkward in this office or awkward never killed anybody. I love <laughs> that. The sign I want to get is it's a brain thing mm-hmm. because so many things, it's not that we're just bad. I'm not saying everything is, but so many things, why does my spouse do this? Or why can't I change this? We even have an addiction protocol. And I would say addiction is a brain thing. Mm-hmm. It's an attachment rupture brain thing. And so I just love that ETT affects the brain. It works with your attachment style. So that's why it can be easy to relate to anybody with it. It gets under the surface of those conscious things that talk therapy can only deal with. And then probably the last reason is because I went and got some and it changed my life. And my husband got some ETT. I should say went and did some ETT therapy. We got some and it's two things for us. And so it's part of my testimony and story. So why could I not love it, right? Yes. I think that's one of the reasons why I trust you so much is hearing that story. I'm like, okay, you've been there. You've done that. You have done so much schooling and research. You have exponential knowledge and exponential time that you have spent with clients. There's just a lot of trust when people say, I experienced it, I did it, and that is why I'm doing it for other people. Well, thank you, Kelsey. The formula is be pretty screwed up yourself. And then you got to be new and you got to figure all this stuff out. And it makes you a good therapist in the end. That's That's a good prerequisite, I feel like. Yes, so good. Okay, you had mentioned this is specific for trauma. So what is your definition of trauma? And then I'm curious to know, is there a repetitive trauma that you treat often where you're like, I see this trauma a whole lot? 
Well, my definition of trauma is a pretty broad one because most people think, oh, combat trauma or even in a car wreck or you have to have a whole lot of violence in your childhood or something. But really, when I think of trauma in the brain, it is when anything is too much for our emotional capacity at the time and we feel alone. Aloneness Mm -hmm. is a key factor in there. And many times there is a shock. We didn't see it coming. We were blindsided. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, how much emotional capacity does a three-year-old have? They don't understand. Like my friend who saw her mom, they were out on the boat, her mother's water skiing. She's three years old. She sees her mother fall. And for the time that it took for them to recognize that, turn the boat around and go and get the mom in the boat, that little three-year-old brain was in trauma thinking the mom was drowning. Mm -hmm. Didn't have capacity to handle that. Mm -hmm. So the trauma that I probably see come out sooner or later in most of my clients because of the level of disturbance and issues that I deal with is the complex developmental trauma all the way back to those early years or childhood. And I always say, you know, kind of whatever we learn to survive the first 20 years of our life, really good things to learn to do. That's what's usually messing up things the rest of our life and especially mm-hmm. in our relationships. I also see a lot of anxiety, depression, shame-based issues. I do see just PTSD, like from current betrayal trauma, car wrecks, combat trauma. We work a lot on physical issues that are related to stress. But I've done some work. I've done a little work with addiction. That's not my specialty. I try to refer to an ETT therapist that they are an addict specialist. But I have done a little. And then I've had some great success with OCD. And again, all of this is the non-medication approach. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think it's helpful to start with that too, to just say, where's my brain getting stuck? And in some situations, like for my situation, I do ETT and I'm also taking antidepressants. And so you may need a little bit of both. Yes. And there's no shame in that, but it's helpful. Right. I love to have access to how can I rewire my brain to, to get beyond these moments? And I think that's so true, Kelsey, that I'm not anti-medication. I think Absolutely. many times there's a combination or we may be able to do less of the medication over time. Right. What I'm against is simply medication. When someone takes a medicine and it helps, but they're not getting therapy. And I also want to say, I don't think ETT, it's a brain thing, but it does not mean that we don't need really our faith in the spiritual aspect. We're not just a brain, not just Mm -hmm. a body, Mm -hmm. but it definitely helps with those components. Absolutely. Well said. I want to share a story about my first panic attack. And I would love for those who are listening and watching to kind of get an idea of how this connects with real, real world practicality in the working industry. How can they apply what they're learning here from you into their everyday lives? And so when I was in kids ministry, I remember the week that VBS came, I was excited, but I was also like, oh my gosh, we have so many things that we've got to do. We had 500 kids that were registered and I wanted everything to be perfect and true Enneagram One fashion. I wanted all my T's to be crossed, all the I's to be dotted. And so I just kept feeling like I'm missing something. And so I was trying to get all of the emails answered. And I remember my Apple watch, it buzzed at me and it said, hey, your heart rate's 110. And I was just sitting at my desk. And so I looked at my watch and I thought, that's bizarre. I feel fine. I was not in tune with my body, but I was like, I feel fine. Not a big deal. Kept working. About 20 minutes later, it buzzed again and said, hey, you're still at 
110, 115, something like that. And so I thought, oh my gosh, my Apple Watch must be busted. Come to find out 30 minutes after that, I felt like my heart hurt. I started sweating and I was like, I'm not okay. I need to excuse myself. So I went to the bathroom, which is probably not the best place. Don't isolate if you feel like you might be dying. That's <laughs> That was what my brain said was a good choice, but probably isn't for those of y'all listening or watching. So I went to the bathroom and I remember thinking, okay, this is how I die in the church bathroom and nobody's going to know. It was very dramatic, but that was where I had my first panic attack. And so if I am somebody that comes to you and I'm like, Tracy, I don't understand. I should be able to handle all of this. I can't figure out why my body is betraying me. What is your response and how do we work through something like that if we're getting panic attacks at work? Well, the first thing I heard you say is should. Mm -hmm. So it's coming from a shame place. And the other thing is you're just trying to figure it out cognitively in your conscious mind. And so the first thing I would do would be try to normalize that shame that says you shouldn't have this. There is a reason for it, no matter what it is. And that's where we can approach things with compassion. And if we just get enough of the missing pieces, it will make sense. Mm -hmm. And so we would do a little bit of, there's a protocol that we use for panic attacks, but I would point first with first start with just getting to know you, your story. Then afterwards we'd do a little ETT that would start to bring out where was that disconnect in that conscious should be able to handle this to where something underneath was tapping into a neural pathway that said red alert, you know, DEFCOM 5 or whatever it is, and right. time to do something here. And then your body reacted. It's almost like once we pull that linchpin, that's mm -hmm. the underneath cause of that, it releases so much of those symptoms. And then we could also do a little bit of what do I do if I start to feel this way again? Some of it's just practical, real life stuff you have to have in your toolbox. Right. But we have a protocol that can really stop those. That's awesome. That is wonderful. Okay. So for the people listening and watching, and I guarantee you somebody out there is going to be like, I love Tracy because you can't not love Tracy. And they are like, I want to say person, Kelsey. <laughs> say more, say more. <laughs> If they want to sign up to do a session with you, or if they are experiencing some trauma and they have tried a lot of different things and nothing seems to be helping, how can they get in contact with you? And what does sessions or signing up for that look like for them? The first thing would be to go to my website, Brock Transformational Therapy. It has my phone number, address, email, office at rocktransformationaltherapy.com. Sorry, that ended up being a really long email. We should have done something different, but too late now. So that's how you can reach me. I will say I do have a waiting list, but I am willing to help people find other therapists, other options. The other thing is you can Google to find an ETT therapist in my area. The also, I want to give you another website, ettaustin.com. Mm -hmm. That's Dr. Vasquez and his office administrator keeps a list of people who've gone through the training. There's one other thing that I think is very important to say when you're looking for options here. There is one inpatient facility that is now using ETT and getting tremendous results, much lower rates of relapse and some things like that because they are really changing those underlying neural pathways. And that's called Healing Springs Ranch. It's actually here in Texas, north of Fort Worth. So those are a couple of other resources. My rate is $200 an hour. I know that's pretty steep, but I'm very much a specialist in this. Mm -hmm. There are other therapists 
every therapist is different depending on a lot of factors. And so I would say go online, maybe go to ETT Austin or email Dr. Vasquez. Well, I'll let you get it off the website. And they may can tell you someone to check out, go to their websites. I think there's some for as low as $100. Probably the going rate's about $150. Mm-hmm. But there's also students and LPC associates. Now, an LPC associate, and I don't know as much about LMFTs, licensed marriage and family therapists and social workers, but I know that they can go to the training once they are a student. So there are students getting the training. And they are very low. You know, they're just starting out, but they can use the ETT. It it might be a good first taste or depending on what issue you're going in for. And then LPC Associates, they are fully licensed. They've Mm -hmm. gone to schooling. They have taken and passed the test. All they're doing is accumulating hours under supervision before they are fully released. And so they also have reduced rates. So those are some options because I do understand price is sometimes a struggle. Yeah. And I will say it is worth it for those of you again, listening and watching. I travel an hour to go see Tracy. I put it in my budget to go see her. I travel an hour back. And I will say that's helpful for me because I have an hour to think about what do I want to talk about? And then I have an hour to decompress afterwards. So it's very beneficial. But I say that just to brag on how wonderful she is, how great of a tool ETT is. And so if that price tag is something that's a deterrent, Tracy gave some really good options, but I would also say it is okay to ask other people for help. It's okay to ask for family to see if they can maybe financially help. It is okay to ask your church. It is okay to ask for help. I want to normalize that a little bit. And I want to say one other thing about ETT and probably some of the other trauma therapists too, but because it can work so quickly, you can spend a fortune paying less, but going for a much longer time if you're not really getting good trauma therapy, right. or good therapy to get to the core of what's really going on. Also, if you're a dentist and you drill in, you know, mm-hmm. you've got to be able to really drill into what's the core issue we're really dealing with. Sometimes right. it's a little different than you think. And if that's what ETT helps gets to and release. So sometimes it's much shorter therapy in the long term and cheaper. Absolutely. That's exactly right. I love it. Well, Tracy, any last minute advice or any last minute ideas that you can share for people who are just struggling at work to make it day to day? One of the things I want to say is just follow Kelsey's example, because you have really proven that when there's a will, there's a way that if you really want some things to change, you can. You just keep working at it. You keep being open to different opportunities. And I love what you said about we're all human. I don't have it all together. Nobody does. We're all on a journey. And to just kind of get past that shame that says something's wrong, mm-hmm. everything can tell. And so to get past that and say, where can that help come from? Sometimes mm-hmm. it might just be joining a group. There's a lot of opportunities at different churches and organizations for group processing, just being open to what would help because we all need a little help along the way. And also it's great because you also can help others. And you are a perfect example of that. Look at what you're doing right now. I mean, you are turning your story and your journey into how to help others to live a more thriving life. Thank you for that. I just think that's fabulous what you're doing. And I appreciate you having me today. Yes, you are phenomenal. This (laughs) boosted my ego. I'm going to ask you to have me back so I can get some more of that. 
I would love to have you back. And I know when people listen to that, they're going to ask to have you back. Thank you for sharing your gifts, your wisdom, your insight. You are amazing. And I can't wait to have you back. Thank you, Kelsey. Thank you so much. And blessings to all your listeners. Just keep pressing on. Okay, y'all, there was so much packed in that episode. But my one takeaway was the subtle yet powerful line. Are you ready for it? Here it is. I'm not the source of their healing. I'm part of the process. Man, oh man, did I need to hear that. Time and time again, I feel responsible for other people's healing. And I take on way more responsibility than God ever asked me to. I can always tell when I fall back on this over-responsibility when the burden of work, marriage, friendships, parenting, or even just life in general feels heavy. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7 that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. So if his burden is light and mine is heavy, that's a pretty big indicator that I've taken on more than God ever asked me to. I would love to hear from y'all on what your one takeaway was from this episode. Leave a comment on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now and tell me what stood out to you most. If it's easier, you can always direct message me on Instagram at The Working Enneagram. I'd love again to know your one takeaway. And as always, please share this episode with somebody who you think would benefit from hearing from it. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.